Hear the words from the Gospel of Mark. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what? Is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went in to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And Jesus, as Jesus, was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come Holy Spirit, lead us again. And I pray these words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words. Pray the words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we just got back from a camping trip up near Silver, up on Silver Lake near the Canadian border. Happy report. Uh, Jack had no injuries. (laughs) Maybe a scrape here or there, but... He got in his snorkeling and we had great family time and, you know, camping, prepping for a camping trip is uh, involved. You got to pack a lot of stuff and and tent and all the goodies, but it is also uniquely refreshing, isn't it? If you've done it, you know what I mean. There's nothing like laying in your tent and hearing the wind in the trees. There's also the coyotes. 
late at night, laying there, and with family and hearing the cackles and the laughs, the coyotes, and you get a sense pretty quick of the wonder and the rawness of nature, knowing that probably what we're hearing are the coyotes celebrating a kill, right? Likely. And that's kind of fascinating and disturbing at the same time, right? Hearing nature at its most raw, at its most brutal, and hearing this almost otherworldly cackle and almost laughter in the, in the space of, of uh, a kill. Jesus has arrived, and that changes everything. We uh, mourn with the kings this morning and the loss of beloved Bob yesterday. And we sit in with Patsy and we, we um, and your family. And we stand with you in your mourning and your grief. We also stand with you in the promises of Jesus, uh, for whom loss um, is never the last word, although it is a devastating word. And we stand with you in that. But Jesus is alive and reigning and risen. And so uh, the cackles of death are quickly drowned by the promise of light and life. In Jesus, we meet that. And that light and life confronts, confronts even the worst life can throw at us, including ultimately death itself. We know that in how things end, which is really a new beginning in the gospel of Jesus Christ in resurrection. Death is never the final word, nor is evil in the reality of demonic presence. He crosses the lake and evil gets in his face. Ever ever been in face to face with evil? Hold on to that question. As one scholar puts it, across the lake means on the eastern side. That population of this region was largely Gentile. And we know that from the name Decapolis, uh, which is a a Gentile-y title or name of of an area. And the presence as well of a large herd of pigs. They were considered unclean by Jews and therefore unfit to eat, Leviticus 11. So here, once again, Jesus is taking his guys over to an area that may not be part of their typical path as Jews. Remember last week, he went with the Samaritans. Now he's about to go and meet a man who is captured and captive, and maybe the coyotes are circling him and laughing, the spiritual coyotes, demons, right? Jesus steps out of the boat and right away there's a demon-possessed person. Verse 6 makes clear that actually the demon-possessed guy sees Jesus coming. He saw Jesus from a distance and he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. You know, sometimes it's like that. The very presence of Christians will sometimes draw darkness out Draw in the light. Those under the influence of darkness may see God's people a long way off. Whether it's uh, literally a a demonic possession or 
some manifestation of demonic influence, sometimes our very presence brings that to bear on us. My friend Bob and I were praying in Seattle uh, years ago. When I first 10 years I lived in Seattle, we were walking through Capitol Hill and uh, Bob and I would do these prayer walks around the Capitol Hill area and just talk and pray and pray for the area. This is when I worked at Seattle Central Community College with InterVarsity and amazing campus and did Bible studies there and such. And we would walk and pray and talk and share and pray. And as we were walking one time, this, this guy came up to us and just tried to hand us a dirty magazine. <laughs> and we said, in the name of Jesus, no. And he threw it on the ground. Another time I was in a uh, soup kitchen in Tacoma. I was part of a uh, urban project down there with InterVarsity and lot, met a lot of neat, wonderful people there with incredible stories. But the one experience I had where darkness confronted me right out the gate, or at least someone gripped in the darkness of addiction, this guy came up to me and wanted me, he said he had a head cold or something or he had allergies. He wanted me to go get him Sudafed. You know what, back in, now they've changed Sudafed since, but back then, before it was, I think, Sudafed PE, it was Sudafed they used to make what? Meth. So right out of the gate, you know, I was a mark for this guy who wanted to, you know, feed his addiction. Whether it's literal demon possession or people under the oppression of demons through addiction or darkness, when we step in and step out, um, it can get in our face pretty quick. Show up in an office where there's gossip and not, and, and you decide you're not going to gossip. People are going to notice and they may not like it, right? You don't have to be uh, possessed to be oppressed. I think possession can happen. It's biblical. It's in the Bible. For those who don't know Christ are under his lordship, everyone's vulnerable to that. But everyone's vulnerable, even those who know Christ, to being oppressed right? and having our sins exploited by the enemy. Paul talks about in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. There is a spiritual interpretation of reality that the Bible gives us. It's a battlefield out there. And if you step in as agents of light, imperfect as we are, evil at some point is going to get in your face. Don't be surprised. When evil gets in your face, demons get in your face. But... This is point number two. Jesus rules. When the man, verse seven, shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Actually, on one hand, it's impressive. He knows who Jesus is, right? On the other hand, it's also, scholars tell us, the demon's way of attempting to establish control over Jesus. As one New Testament scholar puts it, um, the... Uh, Back in the day, it was assumed that someone had power over others when they knew their name. So when they pronounce Jesus' name, they're basically saying, we've got your number, dude. But actually, it's Jesus who has their number. And he can handle this. And that is what he does. Because he asked the demon's name. And then he gets a really interesting response, legion. Scholars debate exactly what legion means. In Roman legion, there were 6,000. 
8,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. New Testament scholar Walter Wessel suggests that perhaps the possessed man had had an unfortunate experience with a Roman legion and, and this had caused his madness. Or perhaps he had felt as if he was possessed by thousands of demons since the legion consisted of 6,000 men. Perhaps the many demons in him combined to form one aggregate force, thus the name legion. You know, we shouldn't try to, we shouldn't spend too much time trying to map out evil here. You know, evil is irrational. You know, there, there's a, there's a way we can understand it, but there's also a depth that is just mysterious and we see what we see, right? And just to, to acknowledge what the Bible says, that this is real, but there is a mystery to it that's beyond us. But these are options that what could be happening here. The devil is working on this guy. There are demons involved, probably many. And he noticed here that this guy uses both the singular and the plural. He says that Mark uses it. It says he begged for Jesus not to send them. So there's this way in which he's, you know, one guy, but there's also multiple forces involved, maybe thousands. So this, this confrontation gives us insights into the nature of evil, and it gives us insights into how Jesus deals with it. First of all, we learn a little something here about how evil apparently likes to grip territory. Our text tells us that the man, verse 10, begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. As, as one scholar points out, it would make sense from a Jewish perspective for demons to be most at home in this pagan setting. Again, this was a Greek non-Jewish area, so it was considered dirty. So it, it would make sense spiritually from their worldview to see the demons there. But here the scholar also points out the demons perceive it to be their territory. This, when they beg Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area, that's the influence of the demons on the man saying, this area is mine. I'm not giving it up. Do you ever get that sense when you look around the world that there's areas that the devil kind of grips and doesn't want to give it up, even relationships, even people, whether there's possession or oppression or whatever, someone, the devil saying, mine, I'm not letting this person go. I heard a story uh, from uh, of university staff colleague, um, telling about an experience he had in Uganda years ago when he was a missionary there. And he had a boy who he was working with who was very sick and would be uh, not well. They thought something was wrong. And, and they said, maybe he's possessed. And Mark started to engage this little boy. And this little boy, this uh, boy, I think he was, I don't know, six, eight, ten years old or something like that. He looked at Mark and the boy didn't, the boy was African, right? And uh, the boy looked at Mark and said in, in perfect English, I've been in here a long time and I'm not coming out. Of course, they prayed for him and the boy was delivered. Evil's grip is tight. They want to grip their territory. The enemy wants to grip its territory. But as Tom Malaire likes to say, but God... God in Jesus Christ has arrived. And not even death, we say on behalf of Bob King and Patsy and the family and anyone who's lost a loved one, not even death has a grip that's final anymore. And not these demons either. 
Jesus' lordship extends everywhere. As one scholar points out, the kingdom of God manifests in Jesus' ministry is laying claim to all the earth. There is no protectorate of Satan that is safe. Isn't that good? That's David Garland, New Testament scholar. There is no protectorate of Satan that is safe. In other words, the devil and his demons aren't safe because the Lord is here. Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, arrives to claim it all. Even the lands where demons have reigned for so long, our Lord breaks in with his rule even there, even there, even there and there and there. If you've ever been tempted to give up on a group or situation or a person and step back and just say, I'm out, <laughs> I'm walking away. I mean, there's a place for that. Sometimes you've got to walk away and retreat and get perspective. But when you walk away, go back to the Lord. Uh, because yeah, in and of ourselves, it is over. It is overwhelming. Remember, no one could control this guy. You know, nobody, not even irons. No, you know, they, so it's real. It's a real overwhelming strength. Death is real. Loss is real. These things are real and they do overwhelm us in our humanity. So yeah, sometimes you need to take a moment, take a beat, take a step, breathe. But when you breathe, ask Jesus to be with you and give you his presence and his promise to breathe in. He's Lord and he has established a beachhead that is permanent, unmovable, unshakable. The demons know it. We may be overwhelmed, but he never is. Jesus is here now. He reigns, he's risen, he is large and in charge. Count on it. But there's also this third point. So evil gets in your face. Jesus is in charge. But point number three, we learn from the text that confronting evil can be complicated and it can be costly. Confronting evil can be complicated and costly. Jesus permits this guy, or he permits these demons to go into the pigs, as Dr. Wessel points out, because Jesus wanted to give tangible evidence to the man and to the people that the demons had actually left him and that their purpose, exhibit A, was destructive. Look at those pigs diving off the cliff. That shows you the demonic agenda is to destroy you, right? So he frees the man. He exposes the destructive agenda of the demons. Simple enough. But then things suddenly get more complicated. So when the guy is freed from the demons, the local people celebrate, right? Yay! No. Actually, they respond with resentment. The locals resent the cost of freeing the man and expelling evil from their presence because it means they lose their pigs. Jesus does this amazing transformation, but then the people say, please leave. When the disruption of evil disrupts the status quo that people have come to expect, then they may resist it, even reject it. Let me say that again. When the, disrupt, when the disruption of evil disrupts the status quo that they've come to expect and even live on in some way, 
then they may even resent it or may even reject it, just like they rejected Jesus. Remember, Israel was enslaved by the Pharaoh, who himself had sort of possessed them, right? But deliverance from Pharaoh came at a cost. They were they had to hit the road, and they had to live by faith, and it wasn't always easy. And well, under Pharaoh, we at least had three hots and a cot, so to speak, right? It wasn't that great, but you know. They could count on something from their former oppressor. So they missed that when they had to go on the road with their liberator. And they resented him for it. And they started ripping on Moses. Wanted to fire Moses. Now, obviously the people in this story don't, don't miss the demons literally. But boy, they felt the cost of the man's deliverance. So they tell the Lord to get lost. So beware... When you are sent in the power of Christ to help free people from evil, you may not always be welcomed as a liberator. If the deliverance from evil disrupts the system that people have come to depend on, they may resent you for it. They may even reject you for it. This can happen in office politics. You know, this can happen in any corporation, right? This can happen in friendship circles. This can happen systemically in our, in our society, right? People who depended on certain broken things in our culture resent it when Christians rise up and say, no, not that way, this way. And then they lose what they gained from what was broken. You see my point. If the deliverance from evil causes a disruption in the system people have come to depend on in some way, they may resent it or reject it and resent you and reject you. Beware, being an angel of light isn't always a party. Sometimes deliverance from evil will be welcomed. Many times it is. Sometimes it will be rejected. Sometimes we will be welcomed in our mission to bring light into the darkness, and sometimes we won't. But when people's negative and even nasty reactions to our mission happen, we shouldn't be surprised. Look at this story. Jesus experienced the very same thing. And just as he was rejected after confronting the demons, just as Jesus was rejected after confronting the evil in this man, we may find ourselves in the same way. And that's when we look to St. Paul, who talks about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Being on the road with Jesus ain't boring, (laughs) but it ain't always easy, right? We shouldn't expect that. Sometimes there's great celebration and delight at his work. And sometimes confronting demons and confronting evil will come at a cost. Just beware. That's the text. Last point. Even so, the mission goes on. In Mark's account, we don't get a lot of time to marvel at this deliverance event. We get, as they say in cinema, we get a couple of beats. <laughs> Jesus saves the guy, the people uh, uh, somewhat, you know, are amazed, and then they say, get out, leave. But then we get this, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The mission goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop with one victory. It doesn't stop with one deliverance. And it surely doesn't stop with one rejection. It doesn't stop. Jesus is relentless. Jesus Christ is a large in charge, relentless savior. Ask him to leave. What does he do? Okay, I'll go. But you go tell your people. 
He sends the man. That's grace. The man who begged on behalf of the demons now begs to stay with Jesus. Now maybe he does so because he's grateful for the deliverance. Maybe he's afraid of what might happen if Jesus leaves his presence. Maybe he's so mesmerized by Jesus, he wants to stay at Jesus' side. Whatever the case, verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but he said, go. Jesus gives us himself. Jesus gives us salvation himself, forgiveness, freedom, rescue from the worst life throws at us. And then Jesus gives us a mission. Jesus tells the man, go and tell. Now, we don't do that alone. He tells his disciples on their mission in the gospel of John, my peace I give to you. He tells the disciples in the gospel of Matthew, I am with you. So he's with us on the way. But Christianity is not just an extended cuddle with Jesus. I mean, it is that. More specifically, Christianity is life in the embrace of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus prays, just as you are in me, I am in you and you are in me. May they also be in us. So we do get a hug from God. But that hug, the hug of the Father and of the Son and the Spirit is a hug that is always drawing people in and drawing territory in. It is cosmic. It is bigger than the cosmos. That hug is massive. And in his embrace of transforming grace, lives are changed. And that is our mission, to invite people into the hug of the triune God. And as we're delivered more and more, no matter what people say, no matter what resentment or rejoicing we get, the mission continues. May it be so for you and me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.